Hello, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas into what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. Today I'm welcoming Dr. Brian Kaler. Brian is a writer and expert on issues of religion, politics, and communication. He also hosts the award-winning podcast, Baptist Without an Adjective. In addition to his work as editor and president of Word and Way, his writings have been published by CNN, Houston Chronicle, Kansas City Star, Washington Post, and many other outlets. He's also the author of four books on religion and politics. Brian has a PhD and an MA in communication from the University of Missouri and a BA in communication and Christian ministry from Southwest Baptist University. He previously served as Associate Director of ChurchNet, Assistant Professor of Communication Studies at James Madison University, Contributing Editor for Ethics Daily, and Pastor of Union Mound Baptist Church in Elkland, Missouri. He currently serves as Chair of both the Communication Advisory Committee and the Resolutions Committee for the Baptist World Alliance. Let's welcome Brian to the show. All right, welcome to the show, Dr. Brian Kaler. Uh, Anything else you'd like our listeners to know about you? Yeah, well, thanks, first of all, for having me on. I'm excited to talk about, you know, some really critical issues. A lot of people say that religion and politics are things that you shouldn't bring up at polite conversation Mm -hmm, at dinner. mm -hmm. And so I'm a horrible dinner guest, but I'm glad to be here on the podcast with you. I can imagine. Um, Share if you would, (laughs) share if you would kind of about your journey of faith, uh, what that looked like initially, uh, what that looks like today. Yeah, as I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, grew up in uh, a family that, you know, going back generations has been involved in the church. My maternal grandfather was a Baptist pastor. And so it's all always been, you know, part of who I am. I went to Southwest Baptist University in Missouri. I had a double major in communication, but also pastoral ministry. I pastored a Baptist church for a couple of years. I've worked for an association and a state convention. And so I've been, you know, heavily involved in ministry at various levels, but at the same time, you know, my faith journey has definitely evolved a lot over the years. I I still consider myself a Baptist. I don't call myself a Southern Baptist. I spent several years as a member of a Mennonite congregation in Virginia. Mm -hmm. And so I have a a much different, you know, outlook on, on faith and how, how we can live it out in the society that we find ourselves in. Great. Uh, What are some spiritual practices uh, or disciplines that have sustained you that you recommend might recommend others? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that probably helps me the most is just getting out into nature. And that, that involves, you know, daily going for a walk with my family. We love to go camping. And uh, I think being out in creation is a really important spiritual practice uh, to get, you know, regrounded, to disconnect to some degree from, you know, what's happening uh, in the world to be able to just turn things off. Uh, that's that's been one that's you know really important. Um, another one that that helps me you know more daily is I, I try to be kind of mindfully in prayer even while driving. And so you know a simple little thing that I do is you know when I'm on the road if I pass a church I just say you know a simple little prayer for that church that they could mm-hmm. be you know sharing God's love you know 
And so I, I think, you know, we, we, things like that, I mean, I won't, I won't claim that I, I don't still honk and, you know, yell at people when they, if they cut me off when I'm dri- driving. But, you know, things <laughs> like that can at least maybe keep us a little bit more uh, focused. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting. Um, so you said you still identify as Baptist. We were sharing before we, we started recording. Um, we come from similar geographic areas, sort of for college at least, s- similar Baptist backgrounds. I don't know if I – I sort of wonder – I've worked in so many denominations. Um, I, I'm cur- – you know, I partially – I think part of me still identifies as Baptist myself too. And I'm curious, like, what is, like, the version of Scripture – when like for me, scripture memorization was such a big part of my faith formation growing up that when I think of a scripture verse, I always remember it in the King James version. I'm curious what's the version it playing in your head. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there there are definitely some passages for me that that come out King James in my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, my church was a bit more kind of contemporary, and so we were kind of a mix. We were really doing the NIV and the King James, and it kind of mm-hmm. so some passages are a little bit more po- poetic, and some passages. But yeah, I was doing the the memorization, you know, all the you know the Bible drills and all that stuff growing up, and so those texts do still come back out. It's pretty funny when you talk to someone who's never heard of a a sword drill. <laughs> Explain <laughs> yeah. that, man. I love those days. I was good at that. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, let's let's jump in. So I had Brian on to talk about kind of an, an area, as he as he said, church or religion and politics, which can be a controversial. Can be almost always is <laughs> a controversial topic, and I think especially in um, our current time and place. Many, many, many pastors and churches are really struggling and wrestling with um, what does it look like to to be a person of faith and, and hold political views and, and how to make those mesh um, and how to like do that in a faithful way. And, and then broadly speaking, there's a whole lot, I think, who are not even giving that any kind of thoughtful thing. They're just diving in. So um, before – let's start with this maybe. Um, I assume you're familiar with Ed Stetzer, right? From mm-hmm. from Wheaton. Um, he's talked a lot in in podcasts. I listened to him where he talks about what he calls the great sort. And I don't know if others are using that language, but certainly I, I imagine you're familiar with the concept. Basically, like you know, with with COVID and all the restrictions, many people left churches and went to churches that were taking the pandemic more seriously or less seriously. And and I think probably broadly speaking, there was a sort away from or sort two churches who are taking it less serious. Like people, a lot of people, and again, this is kind of my anecdotal experience, left churches and went to those who are taking it less seriously. Um, what are your thoughts kind of on that quote unquote great sort? Uh, and then this kind of increasing polarization that we're seeing in, in uh, especially white American churches today. Yeah, definitely. And it was, I mean, obviously it's, it's a trend that predates COVID of having essentially people sorting into red churches and blue churches, mm-hmm. but COVID has, has exasperated that as, as you were just kind of, you know, hinting at. And there's definitely been some churches that have had, you know, church growth because they were flaunting public health measures, right. and, you know, and, and, and not, not trying to keep their neighbors safe, but, but, you know, it, it's, so fundamentally, this is happening, but fundamentally at the foundational level, what's happening, it's a sign of something worse that has happened, right? So mm-hmm. it's a sign that our faith is no longer our primary un- way that we view the world, 
Yeah. Uh, if you think of you know, a classic you know, worldview, that politics has become the new chief way that we are sorting ourselves, even right. in religious spaces. And that's really devastating for the church. And we have research that actually backs this up. So Robert Putnam, he's best known for writing Bowling Alone. Right. Uh, he also co-authored with David Campbell of Notre Dame a book several years ago called American Grace. And they, they talk to Americans and they look at how attitudes about religion have changed and one thing that they found was that four decades ago, that if your pastor said something that contradicted or conflicted with your chosen politics, mm-hmm. that you were more likely to, to adjust your politics, maybe even change your political party, or at least your political leanings on that issue. But then today, and I say today, this is actually pre-COVID. <laughs> I think COVID right. has made this even worse. But So even mm-hmm. pre-COVID today, if your pastor says something that conflicts with your chosen politics, you're more likely to change your church than right. you are your politics. Or I guess if there's enough of you in the congregation, you'll change your pastor, <laughs> right, at least in right, you know, right. low church model. Uh, and so that, what the, and I, when, I, when I explain this research to pastors, I tell them it's, it's worse than it sounds mm-hmm. because it's not that you are now the second biggest influencer on people's worldview after politics. It's that they only tolerate you as long as you toe the party line. So party ID has in many ways become the new religion in our society. And that's part of what we're seeing then with this great sword that we're seeing even churches are no longer immune from partisanship that's coming in, which shouldn't surprise us. I mean, right, you know, pastors got, you know, 20 minutes, maybe 45 minutes if you go to a nice conservative Baptist church, mm-hmm. right, where they can give a little bit more time to preach. But, you know, that doesn't that doesn't stand up against the other seven days of the week listening to Fox News or MSNBC or wherever else you might be getting your news. Yeah, that was a question I was going to ask you. Do you think it's, is it almost simply boiled down to like the the saying like, you know, you've got your congregation maybe an hour on Sunday versus cable news has them for 20 hours during the week? I, I think that that is very much one variable in this. That is part of the problem. You know, the, it's the, you know, garbage in, garbage out, right? I mean, you know, what what you are, you are what you eat, you consume, right? It becomes who you are. And so, I mean, Jesus warned us about this. It wasn't what comes right. out of the mouth, but what goes, you know, in that was, you know, the more concerning, uh, that's what corrupts. And so, yeah, you know, one of these things is like, how do we get people to recognize that part of stewardship, part of being a disciple of Christ isn't just showing up on Sunday and then checking that off your list, but also being mindful and careful about the media that we consume throughout the week. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, what, what advice, I mean, I think it, and, and I'll, I'll just, uh, I'll just straight out like identify as someone who identifies on the left. Uh, but I think, and, and again, perhaps my bias perspective is this is happening far more often from folks on the right. Uh, but I think the, the challenge still exists. Like what, what advice do you have for like someone who's like, Hey, and maybe again, it's someone on the left. Who's like, Hey, I'm in a church. They're, they're pretty conservative. The pastor's conservative. I don't feel like I fit in here. What should I do? Yeah. I mean, so obviously people need to be at a, at a place where they can feel convicted and they can grow in their faith. And, and so, 
I think there could be an unhealthy church situation, right? I'm not going to tell you, like, you know, if your pastor right. doesn't believe such and such, you should walk out of the church today. Uh, I don't think we have to agree on everything. And I think, in fact, I think it's it's healthy. It's great when we have the diversity in our churches, including mm-hmm. political diversity. And so that's one of the problems that's happening as we have red churches and blue churches increasingly is that we're losing the diversity of the body of Christ. We're not gathering in fellowship with those who disagree with us. And so we've got to find a way to model that because there is no other place in our society where coming together across political partisan differences there's no other place in our society where that's encouraged, where that's yeah. rewarded. Mm-hmm. And so if it doesn't happen in the church, it's not going to happen anywhere. And so basically I'd say there's not really any place that's happening in our society right yeah. now. So I'll jump ahead to something I was going to ask about here, but I think it fits in our context of this conversation right now. Um, I think you're familiar with Ryan Burge, who I'm hopefully going to have on here coming up soon. Um, he talks about in his book, The 20 Myths Book, how historically the example of like the mainline church, um, a tradition that I'm currently well established in, uh, uh, Presbyterian USA, ELCA, UCC, DOC, UMC, American Baptist, and who am I forgetting? Somebody, uh, apologies for forgetting, but uh, the the point is like in these traditions historically at least they've been very much kind of a I don't know purplish whatever kind of uh, di- politically diverse. Um, mix of folks. And if I read Ryan right, he kind of laments this kind of loss of, to use your word, political diversity. Uh, and now so many churches we see are very much one or the other. Like, what do you think? So if I'm hearing you right, you, you don't really like that kind of polarization. And you think that historical example is a really good thing to 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 lean on, yes? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, we don't, we don't want to have, you know, yeah, so obviously we could have diversity that's problematic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so to, to me, the, the the issue here is what is it that's bringing us and uniting us together? Mm-hmm. And so if you look at the big picture, it seems too often that we are, I mean, we, we, we've seen the research, right? People are leaving their churches if they don't agree with the politics. And so to me, that's fundamentally a problem. And so depending on where you are, there might be a, a geography, there might be an area where a church is where you're just not going to have as much natural diversity as right. you might other ways. I mean, it might play on ethnic terms, it might play on political terms, right? So you got to be the local congregation for the people of God where your church is. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to say that we have to reach some sort of level of, you know, political diversity. Mm-hmm. But what I think we need, where we have to get is that we are viewing our politics through the lens of our faith and not vice versa. And so that's where we're failing right now is, I mean, we have pastors that are concerned, that are worried about preaching, you know, in a certain way because it might be misconstrued, even if they don't say something political, that if they say something else, people are reading into it, especially when we get close to elections, right? right. People are reading in, they're trying to guess, you know, which way is the pastor telling us to vote? I mean, some churches, you don't have to guess, they'll just come out and tell you, even though they shouldn't. But, <laughs> right. you know, in others, they're, they're trying to guess. And I hear this from pastors, right? That they, people come and confront them about something that they never actually said because people are reading the sermon through their political lens. And that's what's, you know, really a problem. We can't just open up the text and listen to what God might be speaking to us in this moment. Yeah, there's a there's a pastor who I follow who's probably more on, you know, the conservative side of the spectrum, theologically and politically, but you know, he talks about 
preaching sermons and, and people coming up to him and be like, oh, why are you preaching CRT or critical race theory for those <laughs> perhaps unfamiliar? And he's like, what do you mean CRT? So, I mean, what what advice what do you have, advice do you have for a pastor who's like, hey, I'm just a, a pastor would, I think, could faithfully say like, hey, I'm just trying to be faithful to the gospels I understand, to the message of Jesus. But then people are reading into him like, or her, um, oh, you're a CRT person. You know, what are your thoughts there? Again, and let me preface this by saying, uh, I don't want to go along with this, this, I think it's a misnomer that CRT is inherently wrong, but just for, for context here. Yeah. And so, you know, you raise a good question because, I mean, so there's a couple of approaches. We could take the approach where we try to avoid the the political controversies, mm-hmm. right? And then you still get caught up in them, but, you know, you, even if you, if you try not to. And, and so, I mean, there is a little bit, though, a call for the other side. I mean, I don't think pastors should be partisan, and partisan is different than political, right? But when it comes to significant issues that are happening in the world today— if we don't talk about them from the pulpit, then the only place people are getting their worldview about these issues, be it CRT or anything else, is going to be from their political news sources or some other alternative source outside of the church. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, sometimes I think we have to do the hard work of actually leaning into the controversies and maybe talk about, hey, what does it mean to talk honestly and openly about the racist past of our country, maybe even our own church and denomination, mm-hmm. and how whatever you may think about CRT, this academic, you know, mainly legal, you know, gra- I mean, you know, your if your kid is learning CRT in school, congratulations, they're in grad school, right? I mean, so like <laughs> it, it's it's not actually you know the scary thing that people have made it out to be, right. but like how can we separate even that idea, even if you don't accept CRT? We can still talk and must talk openly about the continuing ongoing systemic racism in the structures of our own society today. Mm-hmm. And if we don't do that from the pulpit, then it's only going to be the talking heads on cable news that are going to impact people on what they think about these critical issues. Hmm. So I'm hearing uh, some some pastors need some some courage for sure. Because I, I mean, maybe maybe let me ask this, Brian, because I feel like. I feel like there's been times where I've tried to say something prophetically and I feel like it just goes over people's heads. So do you think part of it is just, or do you think, I mean, mind you, the context I'm thinking of, we're kind of not within the last five years. Do you think people are just more tuned in these days? Do they have like these kind of trigger antennas to like be tuning out or tuning into like potentially buzzwords that could, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, obviously it's, so it's, it's, we definitely have to kind of like lead into it, build into it. I mean, I don't think you can just like have the opening sentence, you know, right. it's, you know, with these political buzzwords, because then people might start tuning you out immediately. And so it's, you know, how do we, how do we start with the text and then get there? Right. You know, which is what I think good preaching should be about anyways. Uh, it, it, there's definitely, I think some muscles that we have to rebuild spiritual muscles, not only, you know, from the pulpit, but, you know, especially in the pews, that this is the place where we talk about these things. Our faith is highly political. And right? I said, it, you know, we should be partisan in our churches, but we we can't not be political. I mean, to say that Christ is Lord is to say that Caesar is not, to say that Biden is not, to say that anybody else is right. not Lord, right. right? And so, you know, that's a that's a it's a political statement and 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 if we try to pretend that we're going to 
not talk about politics, that is in itself a political decision that tends to only help the status quo. Yeah. And so yeah. it's, you know, when we haven't been doing it, we, it's difficult work and especially difficult work to do it well so that it just doesn't come out as, you know, partisan talking points that you could find, you know, somewhere else online. Yeah. Um, so I want to ask about, you keep going back to um, our faith is political, not partisan, Again, something I'd agree with, but I've seen pastors that I, I know and respect kind of argue on Twitter, which where all the best conversations happen, right? Of course. Uh, that kind of kind of kind of be like how how can someone faithfully lead a bipartisan church? Uh, basically, kind of making the the claim that like a real faithful church is a church that's very much on the left, and and of course we know that the same thing happens on the right, where people like I don't know Robert Jeffers or whoever like you know basically leading like you know pro America rallies <laughs> in church, and I think inherently claiming that the most faithful churches are those who are politically way on the right. So, I mean, what? Because I don't I don't necessarily know how to engage that. Maybe maybe I'm better off just not engaging that. Uh, but what what are your thoughts on that? Kind of this kind of like you know we're the faithful Christians because we're on the left, or we're the faithful Christians because we're on the right. Yeah, I mean, so I think one of the things we have to remind us is that no party has a monopoly on God's will, and both political parties have things, have positions, have official policies that conflict with what I think scripture teaches, right? And so, you know, that's that's one of the things that I think helps in this type of situation is that we have to be willing to criticize both sides. Hmm. And that's what you don't see in the partisan churches or with the, from the partisan pastors and the partisan pulpits, right? Is they are quick to stand up and, you know, say, thus saith the Lord and be the quote prophet only against the other side, yeah. And then when it's their own side, they completely ignore it. I mean, maybe just give a really practical, easy example on this. I told you already, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. Right. It was, you know, conservative congregation. And I grew up being taught during the Clinton presidency that character matters. Right. So when I wrote that over the last few years, that character matters, that we should be upset when a politician lies to us, I got called a liberal. Right. Which I have to admit was a surprise to the teenage version of myself yeah. who was president of my college, my, my high school uh, Republican club, uh, you know, is like, wait a minute. <laughs> and in fact, it came from some of the same people, the people in my church mm-hmm. who taught me that character matters. And that's why we're voting conservative now said that when I said character matters, I'm a, sh- uh, you know, a, a, shrill, a shill for the Democratic Party and right. I, I'm a liberal, right? And I didn't change. And see, that's that's the difference, is being willing to say in 1996 that character matters and it makes somebody morally unfit to be trusted in office mm-hmm. and then be willing to say the same thing in 2020. And that means that you have taken on different political parties. But we have seen – I mean, there's polling on this. I forget if it was from Pew or PRI – that showed evangelicals talking about whether or not uh, morality matters yeah. in, a, in a candidate. And the swing from pre-2016 to post-2016 shows that most white evangelicals have just completely reinvented their entire theology because of their embrace of one candidate. That's when we fail. 
Yeah, we're of similar age, and I definitely remember those kind of conversations <laughs> about, oh, character matters and all that stuff in a president. And in that, I think that was so startling for me. Again, we grew up in very similar contexts to see this kind of love affair with someone who's very questionable, to say it generously, very questionable character um, was really startling. Um, yeah, I mean, so we, we, I mean, we've seen, I mean, here's the irony. We've seen the evidence now that character matters. Yeah. I mean, the chaos that we saw, yeah. you know, leading up to January 6th with the first time in American history that we did not have a peaceful transfer of power because we had a president who refused to leave office. I mean, if, you know, conservative Christians in the 90s should be saying, see, we, we told you, we told you <laughs> character matters. If you have an amoral person in office, it's only going to lead to destruction. Mm-hmm. But instead, they're they're still defending and embracing him. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, perhaps we're still seeing it with the, the whole Mar-a-Lago stuff with all those documents, right? right? Of course uh, he stole the documents right. and refused to turn them over. It's just who he is. <laughs> who he is. You know, kind of, uh, while there's so much of this left-right, you know, who's more faithful left or right, another aspect that I'm seeing in this kind of broad conversation is this kind of like, Oh, at least I'm not a moderate. Like the moderates, you know, it reminds me, and I don't know if you remember this, Brian, of of the what is it, the the hot or cold text in Revelation, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where it was like, you know, <laughs> I will spew you out of my mouth because you're lukewarm. Um so now like it's Revelation like, 316 or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now it's like, how dare you be moderate? Like the moderates are like the worst than the you know, yeah. they're 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 seen as worse than than again, pick your poison, right? If you're on the left, moderates are seen as worse than right. If you're on the right, moderates are seen worse than left. And I, I, I don't know if, again, probably because I sometimes perceive myself as being moderate in some ways and liberal in other ways. I'm like, I don't know if this is the healthy dynamic. Um, I mean, what do you do with that where it's just like this kind of like, God forbid, be in the middle? Yeah, I mean, so I think – and also, you know, we we have all these words that, you know, come from similar roots and and – you know, don't quite work exactly the same way. So there's also the idea of moderation, yeah. right? which I do think is a very healthy thing. You know, sure. be it, you know, in your, your your eating habits, right? I think also in your politics, right? right. Your media consumption, right? There's there the moderation can be very healthy in helping us not lose perspective. Uh, I, I the the idea of being a moderate in itself is always a little bit t- tough because you know it keeps changing, right? Mm-hmm. Like who's a mm-hmm. moderate really depends. It's less defined as a as a position and more of, you know, it's somewhere between the conservative and the liberal position. And as right. those move, right, then the moderate definition changes. I mean, you know, um, Representative Cheney is now a moderate yeah. and that's yeah. just, you know, right. like bizarre, right? Uh, and so, you know, she's not a moderate. She's, you know, very conservative. And so, you know, the moderate – but I think there are also politically, I think, you know, the idea of maybe – nonpartisan or bipartisan or, you know, some sort of moderation, right? That can be a healthy perspective. There are also always those justice issues, though, that we have to be careful sure. with where, yeah. you know, being a moderate is – sometimes when people say they're being a moderate, it's just a, a friendlier way of saying they're opposed to something, right? I mean, yeah. this is what, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. was facing. Right, the white moderate, you know, you know, right. Yeah, and so, you know, there's the, – I, I, the word moderate is is maybe not helpful because it's used in so many different ways. Sure. Sure. Uh, so, and again, uh, like, what do you, what advice do you have for, for like a pastor or a congregation who's like, you know, I've got people on the left here. I've got people on the right here. Um, we want to try to balance both views. 
is is that kind of like I'm going to use your word there, moderation. Is that faithful or does the pastor just kind of need to buckle down and be like, this is what it means to follow Jesus, I believe, and, and I'm going to lead my church in this kind of what's seen perhaps as an extreme position. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, one of the things that helps us is that a lot of political issues, when we get to the policy level, mm-hmm. right, we don't, we really can't say, and this is the biblical idea, right? right? right. Like we can have a general principle, right. right? Like there are basic principles about economic equality. There are basic principles about, you know, you know, welcoming the stranger. Now, what does that look like in an actual governmental policy? We can have disagreements on that. But one of the things that I think we're missing and that we're losing are some of these base values that, you know, the idea of welcoming the stranger, of loving the other is completely lost sometimes in these policy conversations. And that's where I think pastors need to be hanging out, is that we need to be hanging out on these, these values that if you accept these values, that might that probably will automatically exclude some political policies. Hmm. It doesn't necessarily right. in all debates say that now we vote for this bill versus that amendment, right? But it, it will eliminate some political positions because unfortunately, we have a lot of really horrible policies that are being pushed right now uh, in our politics. And so we got to focus on what does it even mean to be a Christian? What is it? How does that change the way that we we think about others, that we think about society, we think about our role and responsibility in it that will have political implications without necessarily, you know, always taking a side on the latest political debate. So, um I'm I'm thinking back to someone else I had in the get, uh as a guest, uh a UMC pastor here in in my neck of the woods, Mark Feldmeyer who published a book a couple of years ago, House Divided, and he kind of talked through, like, I don't remember, it was 10 or 12. He, he used the word axioms, kind of like broad general points that we can kind of like agree on um, to be kind of these foundational, these foundational points that we can kind of build off of. And I'm wondering, just kind of hearing you, I, I wrote down from what you said, you know, agreement on values and disagreement on policy to – I guess I guess that for a pastor that might be a reasonable kind of like uh, step, a building blocker way to step forward on is if you're going to say like, hey, we believe it's a biblical value of welcoming the stranger. We're not going to make professions or statements about direct policy, um, but that can be. Would that be fair to be like a hey, this is kind of a line in the sand, take it or leave it kind of approach? I think so, and you know, I think you know one of the things we have to do is is even just you know. In some ways, we have to get back to the basics. Like, what does it mean to, you know, be a member of this kingdom, mm-hmm. right? What does it mean to pledge allegiance to the kingdom, to to say that you can't serve two masters, and so we're going to follow Jesus above all else, right? You know, some of that, that's deep theological work. It's also highly political, but yeah. it's deeply theological work. But I don't think we've we've really worked – I don't think there's a lot of uh, uh, memory muscle there. I don't think we've – in a lot of congregations, we haven't worked that area to really think about what does it mean, and what does it mean to be a Christian in the empire of the world today? I mean, that's, you know, we, we are, you know, we're, we're like Christians living in Rome. I mean, what does it mean to to not give in to, to be conformed uh, by the ways of our society and our world? Yeah, that's helpful. Um, so, like, like I, have a, I have a pastor friend. I was going to ask him if you want to shout out here, but I'll leave him, I'll leave him uh, anonymous, <laughs> you know. He's talked to me about wanting to speak more prophetically, more powerfully in his church, but he he laments like I've lost twelve families 
since like March of 2020 or, or you know, roughly that time period. And Brian, I, I imagine you've been around church long enough, you know, like at some point, like you got to pay the bills and you realize like, hey, like we can't keep losing families here. What What advice do you have for pastors who are just like, you know, I want to speak more prophetically, but I'm also like, can't lose another family. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. And I mean, it's a, it's a reality. And I hope that people that aren't pastors are, are paying attention to that. So if you'd like, I'll answer your question in a moment, but if you'd like something when your pastor is, is getting into some of these more difficult topics, like tell them because normally yeah, they only yeah, hear good. the criticism, right? Good. And so they get scared then to say it, to do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so encourage your pastors, especially when they're talking about really critical issues that we need to be talking about as Christians. You know, I, I have a bit of an advantage. So I'm, you know, in some ways I'm, I'm not, in a, you know, I'm not a pastor at a local church. And so my ministry at Word and Way is right. we are dealing with the news. Like people are always expecting us to be actually, we're the ones that are supposed to be writing about the controversial topics of the day. It's just what we've been doing since 1896. I mean, at the same time, I, I you know, I, I lose subscribers if they get upset by something I write. Right. So like I have that same economic pressure. I feel mm-hmm. that. And, uh, you know, there are certain topics that I know. If I write this, if I publish this, like somebody's going to get upset. I'm going to get, you know, and I, I, I do it anyways. It's just my personality. So, you know, uh, but it's a real pressure. It's a real problem. And there's that tension then between how do we continue to pay the bills so that we can do ministry? Mm-hmm. And then the flip side of like, how do we actually form people to become more like Christ? Right. You know, there, there comes that point where I think every pastor has to, you know, make their own decision at what, how do I make sure that I'm not just a chaplain for the empire? Yeah. Um, but that I'm actually, you know, I think we're still stuck a lot of times in the seventies, eighties, nineties, all the focus on church growth and, you know, yeah. all the books and all the ways, you know, natural growth, you know, church development, all these different things. And I'm not sure the biggest church is actually the, the, the spiritually healthiest church. Sure. Right? I think in yeah. many ways we've had this Christendom idea of a lot of people went to church because it was the cultural, cultural thing to do. And now we're trying to get down to people who are actually serious about following Jesus, and that might be a smaller group. But I don't think that that is failure if we're getting people actually deeper into their faith and deeper into what does it mean to live this alternative vision of of society, this alternative vision of politics that Jesus and the prophets proclaimed. Yeah, so what it's are, tough. To get, to get practical here, really practical, like what are some um, – methods, some approaches that you would advise for pastors? Because obviously I can imagine a pastor getting up on Sunday and being like, uh, I don't know, let's take a, you know, being like, Jesus welcomes a stranger. We need to welcome the stranger. Take it or leave it. Is going to ruffle some feathers, right? <laughs> Mic drop. Yeah. Uh, what are some approaches that a pastor can do, whether it's prayer or or Bible studies or individual conversations with leaders? What are some approaches, even like sermon approaches? Yeah. I mean, so you, one, you just raised a really important point and that is to, to, for pastors to realize that the, the sermon isn't their only way of in, leading people. Yeah. Right? So there are Bible studies, right? Going into Sunday school class and, you know, picking a certain class, some classes that, you know, you're going to know this at your church. Some classes are more ready for the difficult conversations right. than others, or like you mentioned, prayer. Uh, and, and some of that can be even just simple ways of praying about something. Uh, you know, I'm reminded of the, the story. This is um, 
in, in St. Louis, Missouri during, during the Civil War, and there was a pastor who the church tradition had always been they pray for the President of the United States. Mm-hmm. And so then after Abraham Lincoln was elected, he made the exact same prayer that he had always prayed. And it, you know, it was a divided church, half union supporting, half Confederate supporting, and, you know, things got out of hand and half the Confederates left, the the, the, the Confederate half left the church and they never came back, right? It completely split the church. But, you know, he wasn't going to allow the, the theology of the congregation and the practices they had always done to be changed just because of politics, yeah. right? And so, you know, there are those moments where I think we have to, you know, draw the line in the sand. And that was just through prayer. That wasn't even a sermon. <laughs> that was the, a prayer that, you know, that was teaching theology and reminding people of theology even as election changed. And I think, you know, I don't know, to me, I think we just, we have to get back down deep into the text, mm-hmm. right? So rather than just start, you know, we don't start with the implications. Like spend some time in the biblical stories and you can walk people to help them get to the natural conclusion of the text, right? And so, you know, instead of, you know, welcome the stranger, you know, now we have to do that, take it or leave it. You know, we can just go through and read the stories where this is a very clear, yeah. explicit, biblical. You don't even have to say take it or leave it. I mean, eventually after you read all the text, it's pretty obvious you either believe what this book says or you don't. And this is clearly what this book says. So, yeah, that attitude, that approach of love, you know, can go a long way. Yeah, you, you mentioned prayer. I was reminded of, of a story of a pastor in my metro area who, you know, pre kind of like the real, probably seven years ago, approached an African-American pastor. Is like, what what's something I can do in my suburban white congregation that will cost me something? And this African-American pastor told him, including your prayers, uh, lives of people of color who have been uh, who have died by gun violence. And he said for several years, it went kind of unnoticed. And then, you know, it, in 2020 or thereabouts, all of a sudden it just kind of like, boom. And this was just a, just a prayer of na- in, including and naming people. Um, so it's, it's a challenge, but I appreciate, you know, your emphasis on finding other ways to shape and form people. Yeah, I mean that's what we're all about, right? Mm-hmm. This, I mean that's what the church is supposed to be doing: is shaping and forming people into something new, a new creation. Well, uh, before we take a break, let me ask you one more question. You know, this is a common refrain you probably heard again and again. So many pastors are just worn out because they've been, you know, they're like, "Hey, I went to seminary to preach and teach and and mentor and disciple, and now I'm like dealing with mask mandates and and COVID restrictions and." political turmoil. What are, do you have any advice just for kind of worn out, exhausted pastors? Yeah. I mean, you have to know that this season is going to pass. Um, so that's maybe the one hope. I mean, it's, it seemed like it's gone on forever. Right. Um, but you know, it will pass. It will get better. Um, stay, you know, Try to stay in there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes that means taking a break, you know, taking some, for me, like I said, I like to get out into nature, but whatever it is, finding that place where it's just you and God and you can kind of put stuff aside. Uh, but it's tough. A lot, a lot of pastors are leaving ministry right now. Yeah. And I, I hear from them all the time that another one's leaving and it's the politics of COVID. Yeah. Well, let's take a quick break and we'll come back with some closing questions. All right, we're back with Dr. Brian Kaler. Um, 
Brian, I always tell folks these closing questions you can take as seriously or not as you'd like to. But if you were Pope for a day, what would you like to do with that day? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny asking a Baptist, you know, if they were Pope for a day, you know, we right. have a pretty bad reputation of being anti-Papist. But uh, wow, I mean, Pope for a day. You know, one of the things that I, this is probably just coming to my mind is because, uh, you know, the Pope was recently, the actual Pope was in Canada. You know, he did his apology and mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. just the, some of the mistreatments of Native Americans, First Nations people. Uh, First Nations people up in Canada, and um, but then, but then after he did that, there was the protest at a during the middle of a mass, and it had people were holding up a sign that said uh, "Rescind the Doctrine," talking about the mm-hmm. Doctrine of Discovery. Yeah, and so you know, if I think if I was Pope for a day, that's probably what I'd spend my day doing. Is is like let me think of all of the 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 things that uh, the Church had done in the past that we needed to acknowledge, right? Do this truth telling sure. apology. And just yeah. spend the day, like, you know, rescinding all these horrible things and saying, sorry, let's not do this again. Because I think there's a lot of cleanup work that we could do. Not just in their church tradition. If I was the Baptist Pope, I'd do the same thing for us or yeah. the disciples Pope. Yeah. You know, whoever lets me be Pope for a day, I'll do it. I'll clean up your house. <laughs> that's, that's some good work for sure needed. And like you said, most any tradition probably has some um, some work to do there. Um, a theologian or historical Christian figure you'd want to meet or bring back to life. Yeah, I mean, I would, to me, the, the answer would be uh, would probably be Clarence Jordan. Uh, he's the founder of Quinia Farm uh, back in 1942 in Southwest Georgia, uh, wrote the Cotton Patch Gospel Translation. Just an amazing uh, figure, white Southern Baptist who decided that racism was wrong in the 1940s and was under attack by the the clan and others firebombed dynamited his his farming his interracial farming community shot them with semi-automatic guns right and in a time when most christians in in the south and really in the country didn't mm-hmm. get it like he saw something and so i would love just to sit down and just pick his brain and figure out like what was it how did he read the bible how did he see what what no one else was hardly seeing in his own congregation, his church that kicked him out because yeah. he dared to bring a, a person of color to, to the church. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, what do you think history will remember from our current time and place? <laughs> oh man. You're asking me if I'm going to be optimistic or pessimistic now in yeah. this answer. So well, the hopeful one is next. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, the question is, is history going to remember this as, a one of those flare-up moments, right? Like, you know, the late 1960s, we had a lot of political violence. And one of those moments when uh, our, our systems, our structures, our very society was being tested and pushed to the mm-hmm. limits and things heated up and we got past it. Or was this the, 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 the era when democracy died in the United States and we turned into something completely different? So, you right, know, right. it's one of those two. Okay. <laughs> What do you hope for then? <laughs> yeah, I hope it was the first answer. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, we we you know, January sixth was not the end. It was the it was still very much the beginning. We are still very much in a dangerous place, and unfortunately, a lot of Christians are part of that. You know, we saw the Christian flags, you know, waving on January sixth. We're still seeing churches today that are promoting insurrectionists. They're promoting mm-hmm. the theology and politics of insurrection. And we are in a dangerous place now for, you know, a few more years still. And so I am hopeful that the fever will break, that we will get past this time period with very little violence, uh, very little more violence. We've already had too much. Uh, I'm hopeful that the church 
uh, will repent, that will realize that what does it mean to say we pledge our allegiance to Jesus Christ and we cannot serve two masters? What does it mean to fully commit to this alternative kingdom of the the gospel of the Prince of Peace? Uh, I'm hopeful, um, pessimistically hopeful (laughs) that that can happen in the next few years. Yeah, this makes me want to ask one more question if I can, Brian. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what I'd say. Like, is there, I think there's probably no real possibility of really winning someone over who's like, you know, who is in your church or maybe you meet through some social, some other social context who's like, yeah, that, you know, uh, election was stolen. I mean, what are some, I'm thinking there's no real, like, you're not going to like logic them back into reality, right? Like, what do you do? Is it just kind of like, you know, smile and and care and and try to be loving as possible and just pray for them? I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't convince people to leave a cult in one conversation. Right. And um, I don't use that word lightly. I mean, you know, but yeah, I mean, uh, so the hard thing that we all have to remember is that every single person is still made in the image of God, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. it's cliche, but it's, it's true that, you know, and, and that, what comes with that then is not only does God love them, uh, but that there's still a chance for redemption. Mm. And it's not going to happen from one sermon or one conversation. Right. It's going ha- to take a long time. But that I don't think anybody is beyond redemption. And if we can remember that as we go into our interactions with them, that should change the way we treat them. That even if we think that they are completely wrong, that they are, a dan- they are pushing dangerous ideas – that they are still loved by God, made in the image of God, and not beyond redemption. But it's it's going to be tough. Yeah. And I imagine, you know, there's certainly some contexts um, where breaking off relationship is the is the safest thing. Like I wouldn't encourage someone, you know, who's a person of color, who, who's LGBT to, to, to be like, tell them they have to be in a relationship with someone who's denying right. their humanity, right? Um but for some of us, you know, we're both, at least for me, I, I'm a white person, white male, so I have some measure of social privilege. So I have far more kind of privilege and uh, margin to be able to exercise some, cost me something to be in a relationship. And, and that's what I, I guess I'll kind of wrap this up with. Like, we, it seems like going back to what we talked about near the beginning about relationship, is that perhaps the, the biggest reason or selling point? to say it that way about why we want to have more politically diverse churches because really change comes through relationship. Yeah. So, you know, I hesitated a moment when you asked me who I'd like to go, you know, historical figure to talk to because yeah. the second choice was Will Campbell. Mm. Um, and um, kind of the, he's known as the bootleg preacher, but uh, he was um, influenced by Clarence Jordan. It was, and it had been at Koinia, but he uh, was the only white, person who was at the organizational meeting of Martin Luther King Jr.'s um, Southern Christian Leadership Conference. So, I mean, significant civil rights figure. But then also later in his ministry, uh, he sparked controversy among some of his, you know, liberal progressive friends because he would go into the prisons to visit the uh, imprisoned KKK, you know, Grand Wizard and others that had been, you know, and, but what he kept coming back to for him, the gospel message hadn't changed. The message all along was it's about reconciliation, reconciling people together and to God, right? And so that was his, you know, his ethos that drove him 
you know, when he's in the civil rights movement and when he's visiting imprisoned racists, right? And so, I mean, that's that's tough and convicting when you think about somebody who, who who's doing that. But that is also, I think, the work, particularly for white men like us, that right that it's our people. Like that's where the problem is right now. And you know, we need to be in those relationships, in relationships with people of color, so that we can continue to learn from them and help you know deal with our own ways of shedding some of our you know white Christian dominant tradition ethos that we taught that things that we learned that were more American than Christian. But then also in relationship with those who are where we used to be. Right. You know, how do we help lovingly help them to move on a journey that both of us have been on as well? And I think that idea of, of reconciling people together and uh, to God it should be what drives us. Yeah. Well, this is a great conversation. Uh, I don't want to keep you any longer here, but uh, share with our listeners how they can connect with you. Yeah, great. Uh Really appreciate the conversation. It's been a lot of fun. At Word and Way, you can find us at wordandway.org. Spell out the and. Like I said, we've been since, around since 1896. We still have a monthly print magazine, and you can find out how to subscribe there if you want. We have a lot of columns and news on the website as well. We have a podcast called Dangerous Dogma. You can find there at, at dogma.wordandway.org or wherever you're listening to this show. And then we have a we have an email newsletter called A Public Witness. And so particularly if you've enjoyed this conversation, been challenged or interested in it, I would encourage you to, to sign up for that because this is really where we do our work focusing long-form journal, journalism, thinking about the intersection of faith, culture, and politics. Mm-hmm. So you can find that at publicwitness.wordandway.org. We'd love to continue in conversation with some of your listeners. Great. Well, thanks so much, Brian. Really appreciate the time and the conversation. I always leave folks with a word of peace. So uh, may God's peace be with you. Well, thanks. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. One more thing before you go, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people about the podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and Resonate Media. Our episodes were mixed by Danny Burton, and the production support is provided by Paul Romick-Levitt. Thanks, and go in peace. Peace.